You're listening to the Slice of MIT podcast, a production of the MIT Alumni Association. This is the MIT Alumni Books podcast. I'm Joe McGonigal, Director of Alumni Education. This month's book club pick is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, selected by Professor Adam Berinsky. You can join the book club at alum.mit.edu learn. Adam Berensky is Professor of Political Science at MIT and serves as the director of the MIT Political Experiments Research Lab. He's the author of In Time of War, Understanding American Public Opinion from World War II to Iraq, published in 2009, and most recently editor of New Directions in Public Opinion, second edition, published in 2016 by Routledge. Professor Berensky, you chose Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman when asked what one book all MIT alumni should read. Why choose this book? Well, I think it's great. So Kahneman is a a psychologist who won the Nobel Prize in economics and speaks to social sciences more broadly. One reason I picked it, I think it's a fantastic book that talks about how it is that uh, humans make decisions, how they think about their choices, and how most of the time that works out pretty well with for us. But sometimes the kind of biases that we have in our thinking, the very same things that help us day to day can make it very difficult to make big decisions. So Kahneman's sort of known for, uh, with his work with Amos Tversky, about sort of uncovering biases in human judgment. What's forgotten about it, that is, the reason that these kinds of biases exist is because they're coming off processes that really do help us day to day, kind of the thinking fast and slow. So he talks a lot about system one, which is kind of the more intuitive, fast judgment, and system two, which is more deliberative. And system one, you know, sort of guides our decisions mostly day-to-day, mostly helps us out and make our judgments. But sometimes, you know, we could use a little more system, too, to kind of slow us down to make those decisions. What a great student of psychology Kahneman is as an economist Mm -hmm. and uh, a great reader, you can tell. He, he, He has this buffet of psychological studies from over the years that leave readers' jaws drop. Did you put down the book when you first read it and think glass is half full for humanity, glass is half empty? I think a little of both. Uh, You know, I think I'm by nature uh, maybe a little pessimist. I grew up in New York City and I kind of sort of taught to think that way. And I think that most people, when they read Kahneman, kind of walk away with that sense of the glass is half empty. He and Tversky, there's kind of a playfulness in some of their research. If you read their papers, you know, they take something of a delight in demonstrating the fallacies in human judgment. And I think that that's sort of what's remembered. But I think that there is a glasses half full kind of uh, thing as well, is that if we can be aware of these kinds of problems that these heuristics create, these kind of mental shortcuts in our in our day-to-day life, then you know we can kind of slow ourselves down and, and perhaps do something about that. So I guess that uh, we're not doomed to failure. We're not doomed to be guided by these heuristics. You know, most of the time, again, it, it kind of it serves us well. But in situations where perhaps it doesn't, it's good to kind of sit down and, and think hard about this. One example is something, the um, prospect theory, you know, where they talk about how people are risk-seeking in the domains of loss and risk-averse in the domains of gains. And to to realize that 
we're sort of hardwired to do that. You know, when we think about our day-to-day lives, to realize that I think gives us uh, an insight into the kinds of choices that we make. So, you know, if we're not aware, if we're not thinking slow about the decisions that we make, you know, that those kinds of biases override our judgments. But if we can kind of slow down and think, you know, why is it that I'm making this choice I am, uh, that there's the possibility of really correcting for that. The chapter on priming, he writes, the individual primed with money is prone to individualism and reluctance to be involved with others and being reminded of one's mortality increases the appeal of authoritarian figures. Were you thinking of Kahneman a lot in 2016? Well, I should say actually one thing about that priming chapter, and I mean, here where it's nice to talk to an MIT audience that I can get a little more specific, is that a lot of the studies in the priming chapter, not Kahneman's work, I mean, Kahneman's work is extremely well regarded, but some of the priming studies that he talks about have come under fire in recent years in psychology, that there's something of a, I wouldn't call it a crisis, but there's a re-examining of a lot of foundational work in social psychology. So some of the priming, especially about sort of the, you know, if you read a list of words that are involve old people, you get slower, that that work's been questioned. So I just want to sort of have readers be aware that there is, you know, if they hear something about a replication crisis in psychology, this is what people are talking about. That said, you know, Common's basic work on priming, uh, especially think about like the anchoring effect that kind of that where people are guided by the kinds of numbers uh, that they hear that does alter their decisions. You know, I think that there are some lessons to think about in you know, the election. Maybe not so much sort of the priming, but I'm thinking about kind of the risk aversion versus risk loss. Um, so thinking about, you know, Trump is a, is a risky candidate, you know, maybe he's more appealing to people. You know, for me, you know, sort of as a social scientist, I'm interested in how ordinary people navigate the political world. And the fact that there are these kind of quirks of judgment that can short circuit a lot of the, the decisions that people make is important, especially because in, in politics, the line I use when I talk about ordinary people in politics is that most of the people, most of the time, don't pay a lot of attention to the political world. You know, I'm a political junkie. That's why I do what I do. A lot of the people I talk to are political junkies. But most people, you know, politics is something that is peripheral to their day-to-day life, and that's perfectly fine. It doesn't make sense for people to pay so much attention to politics. But what that means is that a lot of these kind of thinking fast things that can potentially short circuit what we think of as rational decisions are especially applicable in the political realm. And that's why I think, you know, like a lot of what Kahneman and Tversky talked about is is so important here. I read the news of your study in, in 2015 on debunking rumors in public opinion surveys. I'm sure you were thinking of systems one and two there, if not explicitly, but that plays into your work. Actually, in, in, in that academic work, I draw a lot on the notion of fluency, right? the notion that something that is familiar feels more true just because we've heard it more often. And you know, that's a big, a big chunk of what Kahneman talks about early in the book. There's been some criticism in psychology over the years that Kahneman and Tversky's work are parlor games, right? I can show you that I can trick people. But that's not true. because I mean, they're, they're parlor games, if that's the case, with bite because they affect ordinary decisions, you know, thinking about what I studied about death panels, right? The fact that just hearing a rumor several times makes it more familiar to someone and they're more likely to say it's true, right? In politics, that has a huge implication. 
And this has been the year of fake news the last year. Yes. Like yeah, I'm writing a book about rumors, and it's certainly a growth industry. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Kahneman seems obsessed with pointing out studies of Harvard students, studies of elite institutions. Even students at elite institutions couldn't recognize this, almost like mm -hmm. uh, there's this undercurrent of subterfuge about you know elitism there. Do you think yeah. about that in teaching MIT students at an elite institution at all? I teach public opinion, and when I, I find the most effective way to demonstrate things like question wording effects, the fact that small differences in the way that you ask survey questions can affect the answers that people get, is to actually try these out on the students. I used to teach at Princeton, it was the same sort of thing where people would say, oh, this is, you know, this is very interesting, but it would never happen to me. And so I would give out surveys at the beginning of the term, and I still do this sometimes, where I would See, I wouldn't tell students why I was doing it, but I would demonstrate the kinds of question wording effects that they read about using them. So, you know, giving half the people, I would ask them about spending on the poor, and the other half of the people I would ask about spending on welfare. And it turns out, not surprisingly, because welfare is kind of a loaded term, even though it is essentially the same concept, when you ask people about spending on welfare, support is much less. You know, I've done this experiment with my students probably 15 times over the last two decades I've been teaching. And it's always the case that I can replicate those effects in Princeton students, MIT students, and going back when I was a grad student at Michigan, Michigan students. So with it, it's so much anti-elitism, but it's sort of, it's nice to, to be able to show people that even people who are successful intellectually or very successful at school still fall prey to these basic fallacies. And I have to ask you about the public funding for schools when you're voting in a school and the voting mm -hmm. is taking place in a school. So it's actually, uh, I have a, a friend of mine who's a political scientist uh, has done this. And so, you know, it's not that all priming studies have failed, but just some of some of them have and then some haven't. But the, the school study is especially nice because it's been replicated in, in the real world. I was curious reading about intelligence and cognitive biases and so forth, what Kahneman's take on artificial intelligence is. I found his talk at Davos last month. He did speak about AI in an, in an optimistic way, that it, would, that it would correct a lot of the biases. Mm -hmm. uh, any thoughts on, uh, on that as it, it might extend Kahneman's arguments? I haven't seen that talk, but I know sort of the general argument uh, that they've made and that social and cognitive psychologists have made that in many ways having um, automated decision rules is better than expertise, not in terms of that it will always give you the best decision, but it gives you a more regular decision rule that in some ways is a better guy than having an actual person make the decision you know, in a way that not that you can program away the biases, but you can get people to focus on the you know the average behavior, the central tendency, the most likely situation, and kind of move people away from these heuristics that can at times lead them astray. So I think that there is a lot of potential there. You know, I think in the book, one of the parts that I, I people who are, are new to the book, I refer them to is thinking about investments, right, and the fact that. Basically, it's the case that no one can beat the stock market in the long term. So the best thing to do is have diversified funds. And so he does studies where he finds that basically your success in the previous year is not at all predictive of your success next year. And so all my money is in diversified funds. You know, so I guess I'm I'm walking the walk as well as talking the talk. That's really an automated decision to basically say you can you know chase the shiny 
object, but at the end of the day, over the long term, you're going to do no better than just the average. So why pay the fees that you would pay to a stock picker? Now, just bet the average instead, and you'll do better. And don't pick stocks that you can pronounce more easily. I think that was one of the Yes, yeah, yes. Uh, I guess another thing I want to say about this book is that this is a very dense book. There's been a rise recently in sort of academics writing popular press book, things that are for a more accessible audience. And there's no punches pulled here. You know, that this is this is a book that, you know, I was familiar with Kahneman Tversky's work and Kahneman's work before I read this book. And it still took me a long time to get through it because it, it just, it, it's so dense. You know, he's a very good writer. It reads very well, but there's so much coming at you. So I would urge people that, you know, if you read a couple of chapters and you feel a little drained, uh, put it down for a while and then come back to it a week later. And I, you know, I think that find some really good fresh insights. What else are you reading right now? So right now I'm reading, uh, in addition to like all the academic papers uh, that I read, so it's actually related to this book by Michael Lewis about Kahneman Tversky's relationship called The Undoing Project. So, you know, I, I'm a big fan of sort of academic memoir in a way, sort of hearing the stories behind the research, not just the research itself. And one disappointing thing for me about the Thinking Fast and Slow is that Kahneman doesn't talk a lot about his relationship with Tversky, doesn't talk a lot about the processes that by which they came about their research. There's some early on, and then it disappears. And what I really like about the Undoing Project is not only would I read anything that Michael Lewis writes because he's such a fantastic writer and makes complicated arguments very understandable but he gives the the story about the personal relationship there and it, you know it seems Kahneman is a very private man he's a person who i think spends a lot of time criticizing himself and others so after you read the thinking fast and slow i suggest reading i wouldn't read the undoing project first but it kind of fleshes out the uh the, the story of thinking fast and slow and made me realize why there wasn't that personal narrative there read uh, In the Garden of the Beasts recently, too, which is uh, about the American ambassador in early Nazi Germany. And that it's a little scary because I see a lot of parallels to today's day. Um, so nothing happy or light, but I think all, all important and interesting. The book is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, and it's the subject of this month's Alumni Book Club. Professor Berensky, thanks for joining me. Good. Thank you.